Thank you for downloading the Inspire Me podcast series, brought to you by the University of the West of England. In this podcast, we are joined by Lewis Wedlock, activist, academic and social psychologist. All right, hello everybody. Um, thank you so much for coming along to the second um, Inspire Me series. Um, don't worry if you've missed the first one, it's all online and I'll tell you how to access that at the end of the session. Um, so yeah, welcome. And uh, uh, we are speaking with inspiring figures who have graduated from UWE and formed ambitious, inclusive, innovative and enterprising paths. I'm Molly Rose Crossley. I'm a third year media production student. I'm on the journalism pathway. So um, I'm really excited to be meeting all of these amazing people from, from UWE. Um, so how this is going to run is we're going to have about a 20 minute interview, depending on how much um, I go off topic and waffle. And then there will be time at the end to have your questions answered. If you pop your questions in the Q&A box, um, the chat function is purely for event announcements. So keep an eye on there for kind of social media links to uh, Lewis's work and that kind of thing. Um, and then pop your questions in the Q&A box and we'll get to those at the end. Um, and just a little note to say that this, this uh, chat isn't course specific. Anyone is welcome and anyone is invited to attend um, because it's, you know, it's relevant to everyone who's come to UWE and everyone's welcome to be inspired by all of these speakers. So that also means that there won't be a my attendance code as well. Um, it will all be recorded and posted on the library website afterwards. Give us a few days, uh, you know, tech things take a while. So um, now we're going to crack on and introduce our speaker. So today we have Lewis Wedlock. He is an activist, academic and social psychologist. He works at centres around, uh, all around the place, nationally exploring and challenging structures that limit pathways to expressing magnificence. I'm super excited about this chat, it sounds so good. Uh, he is one of Britain's youngest lecturers and the co-creator of UE's Flourish module, which we'll hear more about, and creative director of Project Zazie's Black Bristol. He has recently done a TEDx talk. We're all familiar with TEDx and probably spend maybe a little bit too much time watching all of those. Uh, the talk in Brighton on mental health and masculinity. Um, some of the projects uh, that uh, Lewis has been involved in include Black Bristol, which is an interactive timeline exploring some of Bristol's most important history. Flourish, he's a co-creator of Flourish, uh, a personal development and positive psychology module delivered at UE, so some of you might be familiar with that. Uh, he's also the creator and host of Amplify, which is an extension of Black Bristol, so I've got some questions about that, so we'll, we'll cover that a little bit more. And uh, the creator of Pinpoint Academia, so, so much there and such a broad range of things to cover. So let's crack on. Um, so let's start from the very beginning. Do you have a moment, Lewis? Do you have a moment growing up which inspired you to follow the path you are on? Um, firstly, thank you so much for having me, um, and thank you for that wonderful introduction as well. I think it's always, yeah, it's really, it's nice to hear, you know, the, the work and, and kind of relive the work through your introduction, so thank you very much for that. Um, so a moment that inspired me to kind of jump into this work, I think, that's a very difficult question. I, I would say that when I started within this sort of university space um, as a student and I studied 
psychology or sociology at undergrad level. Um, there was a moment with one of, of my lecturers, uh, who's now my creative partner and business partner in, in different in different um, spaces, particularly around Flourish, that I saw Bill lecturing and I saw how he kind of like commanded the space. Um, Bill Bill Hill, William Hill is, is, is who I'm talking about here. Um, and I saw him lecturing and I saw him just being able to speak on topics and then connect them with other topics and then bring it back to the topic. And he had this mastery of, of teaching and ability to connect with people in this space. That for me, I looked at that for the first time and thought, I would quite like to do that at some point. That, that looks, that looks, that looks interesting. I was intrigued. Um, and academia for me was something I kind of stumbled into, like I wasn't really ever, you know, planning to go to university. I just happened to kind of sign up to a course and then, you know, whatever happened happened but in that moment I was like whoa like that looks interesting and that style of delivery and that way of teaching was something that was like I want to do that in as many different spaces and places as possible um, so that was the first thing that came to mind for me when you asked that question and in terms of what you know drove me to be able to kind of you know uh, work in the spaces that I'm so fortunate and grateful to be in so yeah that's amazing because that sounds like it's almost quite organic in that way it wasn't like I went to university I wanted to do this and this is how it this is how it panned out and actually yeah. I think that's a more realistic path that a lot of mm -hmm. people go on you know they're kind of like oh I go to university I'm not quite sure which path I'm going to take but I'm going to do this and it's mm -hmm. so it's so wonderful to hear that actually your experience at UWE is what has inspired you to yeah to create and uh, and work within these spaces was there mm -hmm. a particular reason that you chose UWE in general um I suppose yes yeah I mean there's a few I think uh, I'm a Bristol boy um anyway and I love I love my city I love where I'm from I love the community that I'm a part of and I didn't the idea for me of moving away didn't really inspire me uh, no pun intended uh, but I, I felt like it was it was I wanted to keep it within Bristol um and then I went to an open day and I looked at the course kind of breakdown to psychology. So I studied psychology with sociology and I saw a module called consciousness that was led by someone called Guy Saunders, who is a mentor and someone who kind of, again, like Bill shaped me into the kind of person I am in the space that I'm in. And I saw this module called consciousness and I was like, what's that? And you know, at the open day, they explained to me, you know, we're, we're looking at what makes the human experience the human experience and that was that was it I was like where do you do conscious anywhere else they're like well there's one uh, in Portsmouth um and I was like nah, no no I, I want to study this and I want to study under guy and I want to I want to be you know uh in, involved in, in this course and I was from that point on you know like you know like I said I didn't plan to go to university but at that open day I was like right you know, if I'm gonna go then I want to I want to study something like this, um, and it just so happened that I got to study under Guy during the last year of his of his teaching um, before he retired, um, and got to work on you know and learn from from him. So that was the that was the driving force behind UE, and my family have all kind of you know um, studied at UE as well. So I was aware and familiar with, with, with the space and how good it was, and and the experiences that that came with it as well so that was definitely a, a, a driving force but it was it was the conscious module that was like wait 
we can, we're doing this, this we, we can study what human experience. I'm definitely wanted to look at that and, and explore that. So that was what, what, what drove me into, you know, applying to UE and being in that space. Did you um, look at any other universities that kind of, you mentioned Portsmouth, did you look closely at that module in other universities as well? Um, not as, as I'm quite, when I have my mind and my eyes set on something, I tend to go 100% for that. Um, and so once it became apparent to me, because I'm very big on like feel mm -hmm. and you know, I went to some open days, you know, as you as you should, and I've ex explored different spaces, but I felt most comfortable and I felt most like I, if I was going to pursue a university sort of degree, then I would want to do it in a place like UWE, um, not just because of the conscious module it was really cool, but because it just felt right and it felt good for me to be in that space. Mm -hmm. So that's what you know ultimately drove that and, and you know like i said I, I looked and looked at different places but the feel and the and, and the interest for me to be involved in that space was was strong enough for you to kind of take that as 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 the option a and the, and the only kind of you know pursuit for me so yeah i love that that's fantastic yeah saying it's not just about the kind of academic side of things it's about how the place makes you feel and yeah. you know for some people that might be Oxford, for some people mm. it might not be, you know, and that's right. great. And actually from a from a personal level, that was the same for me, mm. returning to university as a mature student, you right. felt like the place that would be able to kind of cater to my needs. So yeah, that's right. fantastic. Um, so you kind of mentioned a lot about the staff being like a huge part of, yeah. of being inspired to kind of follow the path that you're on. Could you just mm -hmm. kind of like tell us a little bit more about how UE and the staff or maybe any of the support staff as well um, helped you carve this path for yourself yeah. coming out of the uni? Yeah, I know. I mean, 100%. Um, I, I say often that, you know, and it's, it's not just because we're obviously having this conversation genuinely that a lot of my career and what I've done and what I'm fortunate enough to be doing now at the age that I'm doing it at is a direct consequence of, of the people that were around me, that encouraged me, that believed in some of the stuff that I was trying to do and what I wanted to do. And, you know, it's very easy to look at someone's goals and objectives and be like, that's not really realistic. Um, you know, at this point in the career, you want to do this or you may want to build up to that, right? But people around me, like I said, Bill, so William Hill, um, the, the psychology team at UE in general, across, across the, the entirety of the, of the teaching team, um, sociology as well um, that were, were you know uh, responsible for for you know a, a large portion of my learning experience too um, giving me the opportunities to come back into those spaces um, and to, to trial things and to do things that weren't necessarily done before to the extent that they were done mm -hmm. um, directly responsible for, for a lot of my you know success and for a lot of my you know my belief systems and and my, my passions, you know, direct consequence of, of, of the UE space, but specifically, you know, Bill um, and what he did for me and what he continues to do for me today, believing in, in, in my ideas and, and supporting my ideas throughout the entirety of my university journey. Bill was one of the... Oh. And it is still because he's all... Oh, 
we just had a little we just had a little freeze there would you mind going back to um you were just saying um yeah you're talking about how bill's kind of supported you in your journey just like sure. a couple of lines back that would be great yeah yeah so i mean he's the person that i still go to this day for support and guidance um on a range of different things um because he's always had my best interest has always had my you know my 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 career development at the forefront of his actions and choices too, which I feel is very, you know, rare uh, for, for academic staff. And it's something that I see across the UE space, even me now being in the space, in those roles, the, the level that the staff will go to, to, to make sure that pathways are set and, and created is, I haven't seen it elsewhere. Um, so Bill was that, that force for me and, and that, that driving force for sure. That's amazing. It's so incredible to hear how much, not just like the university supported you with your ideas, but you also said your beliefs. And mm. that's that's so important that, you know, you don't go to university and lose touch with right. what it is, your core fundamentals that makes you you. Um, mm. And that leads quite nicely on to um, Black Bristol, one of your projects. Um, mm -hmm. And it said on your website that it's a response to um, the Black Lives Matter movement in, in well, before and also 2020 yeah. when it came back into the into mm -hmm. the kind of modern sphere. Could you tell us yeah. a little bit about the project and why you feel it's so important? Yeah, so for context, um, uh, I am in the higher education space um, as an associate lecturer, um, but I'm also a mental health professional. So I work for a charity in Bristol called Off the Record. Um, and within Off the Record, I work for a team called Project Zazi. Um, Project Zazi are a team that are built up of devised of mental health professionals from non-white backgrounds in Bristol that work with young people from non-white backgrounds to support them, you know, articulate, explore and experiment with their magnificence. Um, and the Black Bristol Project is a Zazi project that I led on um, which really was a direct response to a lot of young people in our city being frustrated with the history that they were being taught and the history that they weren't aware of, um, because Bristol is a very rich, uh, has a very rich history where, you know, development of, of society and culture is concerned, and particularly when we look at the intersections between race, um, class, sexuality, etc. there's a lot in the city of Bristol that often does go uh, unacknowledged and, and unidentified um, for the most part. So we want to focus on black history, uh, black and brown history specifically, and give our young people the opportunity to contact some of their history um, in a way that wasn't encroaching, because you can't just go in and change school curriculums, that's not how it works. But we could create a visiting curriculum that could be accessed at any time by just googling blackbristol.com by delivering, you know, Black Bristol content in classroom sessions, going in and delivering sessions based off of the website to kind of fill that need for our young people to have access to that history. Because for me as a social psychologist, um, history and what we know of ourselves and what has gone before us is a really big contributor to our self-awareness, our self-confidence, our self-efficacy, how able we feel to do certain things in life. And so for us, it wasn't just a community project around history. It was a mental health intervention that existed to kind of give our young people elements of their identity back and give them the opportunity to collaborate with us over the years, creating, you know, parts of, of, of their history and 
acknowledging parts of their history as we go along. So yeah, it's a timeline and it's also a present day celebration and our articulation of our city and what makes our city for me, you know, one of the best places on earth. So that, that's what the Black Britain project is. That's amazing. So it's an it's it, people can access it online. It's like a resource yeah. that people can access because you're you're totally right. It's really hard to change curriculums, however hard you argue that that, yeah. is, that should happen in lots of different realms. It's not as simple as going. Can you just pop this book on the syllabus now, please? You know, it's it's really really tricky. So it's amazing that you've kind of acknowledged that and you haven't kind of gone. Oh, these rigid guidelines. That's not you know. Mm. you've gone what's yeah. the different way that we can help kind of uh mold that and 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 move with that that's amazing and how have you how, how does your work at off the record which i am semi-familiar with and as an academic to mm. quite i mean they both use the brain in a beautiful way right. but how yeah. do you how do they those two things come together that's a that's a excellent question um that really is a good question. Uh, and for me, they inform each other. So I, the work that I do in the academic space is informed directly by the observations and the work that I do in, you know, mental health work, in community work, in youth work, um, in being embedded in my community as a, as a, as a social psychologist, someone that's interested in how society and culture works. So being with young people and working with young people informs my practice as an academic. But then at the same time, you know, uh, you know, my process as an academic is, is informed uh, by, by what I see and interact with. So it's kind of like this, this beautiful, like constant communication. And what I've learned through occupying both roles is that, you know, theory and ideas are great but they're often not quite the same in the reality of the people that you're working with. And that made me and is making me a sharper, um, like professional in the spaces because I see what part of theory is like working and what isn't and, and where those gaps are. So it's a really beautiful kind of uh, mix and my work life is varied, but they very much inform, you know, everything that I do. So challenging, structure you know and, and pathways to magnificence the academic hat does that but also the mental health and youth work role does that too um so they inform each other and are constantly kind of communicating with each other um you know at all times so yeah very much you know on that sort of same wavelength i love that I, if i could give you a huge round of applause well i will at the end but like as you know pe the people listening and and also you know also myself we bury ourselves with academic text a lot when you're at university academic text academic you know listening to all of these things and mm. sometimes it does lose its grasp on reality mm. I can hear some of my lecturers in my head screaming at me but sometimes you know it does feel like who is this really for is this is this right. for you because you want to write it yourself or right. is it for the greater good and it kind of sounds like what you're able to do from from uh, inhabiting both spheres is like you said bring mm. those things together and listen to what people need and then back mm. that up with with the academic side and that's yeah cool. that's fantastic i think we need we need more of that definitely um the term that you keep using is magnificence and mm -hmm. can you 
can you explain what does magnificence mean to you? Because for me, it's bringing up kind of images of ballrooms and gold mm. and castles and all of this kind of thing. But obviously, that's not quite what you're. <laughs> that's mm. not quite what you're after. And yeah, can you can you just why do you use the term magnificence and how can yeah how is that so important to you? Again, it's a really uh, I love that question. Um, I think for me, magnificence. Um, I worked with a therapist. Uh, and I still work with the therapist, of course, in my profession, but I worked with a therapist when I was a, a young teen. Um, and he talked about the world being a playground for people to express their magnificence. And that's something that I took with me and it emerged and re-emerged, shall I say, when I started working in the youth work, mental health, mental health professional setting, and also in the education space. For me, magnificence is that innate, essence within all of us that is there is present that can be tapped into through a process of exploration and coming into contact with things that ignite that spot so it's not something that a few people have and and kind of you know uh, possess and others don't it's something that's within us all I think the work that I do and the work that I'm fortunate enough to be involved in is about helping as many people as possible find what that magnificence is for them finding that innate sense of purpose and excellence and drive and passion wherever it is that they feel that that is and where that's located so when I talk about magnificence and challenging structures that kind of you know uh, limit pathways to magnificence that's what what I'm talking about how can we ensure that everyone taps into that sense of excellence and can use that to become the best versions of themselves that's what I mean by magnificence I love that. I absolutely love that. And would you say, so you said you kind of came across the term when you were working alongside therapists. Could mm. you say that actually, this is going to sound like a leading question, but whilst at UWE helping the, those members of staff that you met, did they help mm. you access yours? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the initial quote was something that I heard when I was like 16. I didn't really understand it. And then I understood it later on. But again, when we look about, we look at the kind of pathway that I took and ended up taking, um, for sure. Because I, I think, you know, like I said at the start, education wasn't something that I felt like was necessarily a career for me. But through that process of learning and finding those sparks and finding those moments that made me feel like, well, I really want to do this and I really, really want to do this. That was something I wouldn't have said was a pathway for me, but it's the one that feels most truthful and most in, in line with who I am and what I want to do. So 100%, um, and that's only a credit to psychology and sociology teams that kind of walked me through that pathway. Amazing. This might be a difficult question, but um, sure. I'm, going to, I'm going to ask it anyway. Of um, do you have, what are your top kind of thing, Your what are your top magnificence qualities that you have found in yourself? Mm. I would say consistency. Um, showing up consistently for my young people within my own work and my own self um, and again being able to stick to something and, and continually push uh, in relation to that because I'm connected with it and I'm, I know what my purpose is I would say that um, empathy um, mm -hmm. I would say that I'm able to connect with a lot of young people that I work with quite quickly because I understand their experiences. I've lived their experiences. I know those shoes and what those shoes feel like. And it was only when I started working in that mental health space that I recognized that was a skill 
to be able to know what a person is feeling or at least infer what a person is feeling based on my own experiences, but also knowing what that could feel like for them as well. And that really allows me to connect with people. Um, and I would say my, my it's, it's a magnificent, uh, in your words, a magnificent trait, but my analysis as well. So I, I really do try to look at things at the smallest detail and find out, you know, like and try and keep inspecting, keep inspecting, keep looking and reflecting on, on what things mean and how, how they end up becoming the way they've, you know, uh, become, whether that's people, culture, concepts. Um, and I would say that's a skill that has translated into many different um, spaces that I've been fortunate enough to kind of work in. So, yeah. Amazing. That's so great. I'm, I'm so, yeah, blown away by those answers. That's so cool. Um, just a little quick reminder, guys, you can um, pop your questions in the Q&A box. Um, I've got a few more myself, and then we're going to be um, heading over to you guys for your questions. And something that I think a lot of people might be interested in um, mm -hmm. is public speaking. So like I mentioned in the introduction, uh, you did your TEDx Brighton. And mm -hmm. among that, you know, you obviously do a lot of public speaking. Mm -hmm. It's something that a lot of people struggle with. And mm. especially since COVID, like I'm seeing it quite a lot with some of my um, with some of my peers, you know, in, in, yeah. in journalism, standing up in front of people and whether it's giving a presentation or approaching people for interviews and things like that. It's really mm. tricky. How is it something that's always come quite easy to you or is it something that you've developed? <laughs> You're shaking your head. It's something you've. Yeah. How have you developed your your skill for public speaking? Um. So to answer the question, absolutely not. It wasn't something that was like uh, was always good at. Um, I did drama and things when I was younger, but playing a role and being truthful to you are totally different things and were totally different things for me. Um, so I think in terms of public speaking, um, practice was the thing that I did the most. So when I first started teaching, uh, you know, I often say jokingly, uh, to the people I, I taught at the start, I apologise because you would have got a, a, such a better experience um, uh, now than, than what you did at the start. But I think public speaking literally and figuratively is a process of finding your voice and that can only come through practice. So the more you practice and the more you sit in them uncomfortable situations and the more you kind of walk away and think, mm, I want to improve on that, I want to do that. That was something that really helped me. So I tend to watch everything I do back, except the TEDx talk. Um, I haven't seen that yet, but I tend to watch things back and okay, I want to do that better next time, or I want to you know, come this, I want to deliver it this way, or I want to maybe spend more time with this. I, I watch my stuff back and I tend to nitpick a little bit um, uh, and, and do that. But most importantly, I think it's a process of just understanding as well that, you know, another piece of advice I got was, when you speak from a position of truth, it's hard to, to, to feel nervous when you know that what you're speaking and how you're speaking comes from that, that, that place. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I take into a lot of the work that I do as well, is that am I speaking from a position of truth? Do I believe what I'm saying? Do I truly resonate with the words that are coming out of my mouth? Because I do. And when I step into those spaces, whether it's a TEDx stage or a lecture hall or a community space of 20 people, I know that what I'm speaking is, is, is truthful to me and that's kind of all that matters. So those are some tips. So it's almost like the magnificence element and 
the public they almost like come together in a way like you kind of almost can't have one the confidence of public speaking without kind of finding mm. your magnificence and your and your truth they kind of come together quite organically yeah and, and don't get it twisted as well like maybe to say as well uh, it's absolutely 100 percent okay to be nervous even at an experienced level so like uh a lot of time people will think oh he's got this guy doesn't get nervous anymore because he's done this and that absolutely not um, I do get nervous. I do still feel a bit like, oh God, I don't know about this. Um, and that is a norm. That is the normality of speaking uh, in public. So don't don't feel like that ever goes away because often doesn't. But that is a good thing for me anyway because it shows that there is an element of care and that I'm I'm wanting to kind of do the best job possible. So just add that in. Yeah, definitely. And on the subject of nerves, for some people, um, nerves come through in your voice quite a lot you know mm -hmm. and um and maybe like the shakes if you're holding a pen or something like that yeah. do you have any kind of tips if you're you know you're standing in the wings or you're standing behind the door before you're going in to give your lecture or whatever do you have any kind of like practical tips to get over those kinds of things kind of practical kind of kind of maybe kind of not like if if you watch my TEDx talk um the camera actually picked up what I do I didn't realize that my mic was on but before I before I speak uh, public uh, always say guide me so I say I, I kind of I point to my chest and I say guide me so it's kind of me um just asking the divine power whoever that is and whatever that looks like to you to speak through me um and to just kind of like kind of just say okay cool I'm just going to do it now and I'm trusting that I'm going to be able to kind of do what I need to do um in terms of practical make sure you're hydrated before because dry mouth is a real thing and it doesn't matter how prepped you are when you start feeling that mouth go a little bit dry, you're like, damn, I need to, I should have hydrated a little bit more. Um, uh, taking deep breaths in between, like don't feel like you need to rush everything. Like, you know, another mentor of mine, Mr. G would, would often say to me, slow down. You've got all the time in the world up there. Like do what you need to do and, and, and take a breath, steady yourself and, and, and find that, find that, find that pocket. So don't be afraid to take a sip of water, to take a deep breath, to kind of just sit up there for a little bit that helps calm those nerves as well. So those are, those are some tips. Amazing. Yeah, really, really good tips. Um, and just my last question before we head over to the uh, sure. audience questions. Um, yeah. What, how did UE help you prepare for graduating and how did mm. that help you on the, the path that you're on? Yeah, so I mean, uh, for me, I was aware of numerous different opportunities that were present in 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 sort of uh community spaces um i was aware of opportunities that could be available to me uh, pathways that are available and i think for me personally what was the most you know helpful was like i said at the start university being able to listen to my ideas which really as a 22 year old at the time or 21 year old at the time saying i want to come back and teach quite quickly quite soon to even humor me in that space and be like okay what is it you want to do and how do you want to do it and actually opening that dialogue up was something that really helped me um you know create the the platforms also the confidence in myself to be able to do the things that i, I do now and feel like i can you know do things that i set my mind to so having that sort of validated and heard for me at that point in my career was absolutely massive and instrumental and allowed me to kind of continually ask things that I shouldn't really be asking for at this point in my career, but still finding a way to kind of get my foot in the door and still finding ways to do things that I enjoy that aren't compromising who I am, 
but also just really trying to push the envelope as, as much as possible. So that that's how they helped me. Amazing. And and that definitely came with the confidence to ask as well, 100%. you know, like not sitting back and waiting for those opportunities to fall in your lap. It's literally like, this is what I want. How can you help me get there? Um, yeah. I think that's a really important lesson. You know, we can't wait for magic to happen. You have to make it happen. Um, amazing. So now enough of my questions. We're going to head over to what the people want. Um, so question number one. What uh, what was your experience when starting university? Was it positive straight off the cuff or did it take you a while to find your footing? Brilliant question. Very, very good question. Um, definitely took me a while. So I tell a story all the time. Um, so, you know, I came to university kind of on a kind of whim in a sense. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but I, I, I picked subjects that I felt like I was good at in college. And there was an air of, of dare I say, arrogant, um, you know, within me at the time that I felt like, oh, no, this is, I can do, I can, yeah. It's just like A-level, right? Um, so when I started university, I wasn't performing as, as well as I should have. It, it, my expectations weren't being met and it was a deeply humbling experience. Um, and I found the initial switch into a different work style quite difficult. So, you know, I often say the first few months of my university experience were, you know, were really, really trying to find my feet. And um, it was frustrating and it made me feel like, am I even supposed to be at this place at this point in time? And again, you know, being surrounded by people like Bill, like Guy, but at that point in my career, particularly Bill, Bill would say to me, look at the feedback or, you know, like just keep looking, keep studying and keep improving incrementally. Um, and I found my feet through that process and ended up graduating with, with what I graduated with, you know, doing really, really well. Um, but yeah, of course, academically finding my feet for sure, personally finding my feet, like being in a space where there's so many new people and there's so many new perspectives and ideas, it can often feel a bit disorientating and that's okay. That's, that's absolutely okay. It's going to take you time to acclimatize and everyone's timing is different. So 100%, um, the first few months, first term was that finding the feet and then our flourish module, you know, we talk about, um, within our cycle we talk about arriving and then surviving as being the first two parts of the cycle so arriving is when you find enter a new space and you're just trying to kind of find out what the hell's going on where is everything what we do and how we doing it what's the rules in this space and then surviving is about learning the basic rules to survive in the space to get along attend your lecture on time get coursework in etc and just doing that kind of bare minimum uh, to get by and that's not a bad thing that's getting your feet secured and finding that, you know, you, you, your foot in, in the space. So absolutely, um, definitely first term was a, was a, was an interesting process, but it was, you know, a process that was needed and a process that, you know, ultimately informed what I ended up doing. So, mm. yeah. Amazing. And I think it's also important to register that everyone's in the same boat. Like, even yeah. though, even if people look like they are sailing through it, they are not like, you know, we all just put on that, really? that face. So, yeah. And, uh, and Yui's got lots of great support out there and just make sure that, that you ask for it if you, if you need it for sure. Mm. Amazing. I love that surviving. Yeah. That, mm -hmm. those, two, those two kind of tick that, tick that. And that's the most important thing. Love that. Um, when you are so proactive and have created so much, when you are so proactive and have created so much to be proud of, is it hard to maintain? How do you balance it with normal life 
and stop <laughs> feeling overwhelmed? Wow. It's another great question. Mm. Um, uh, so yeah, there was periods in my career um, where putting the foundations in place for the Black Bristols, for the Flourish modules, for the Amplify, for the other you know, projects, the Pinpoint, for example, um, there was a point in putting those things together where I did burn out quite, quite, quite massively. And there was a point where I needed to really reassess what was important to me and what it was that I wanted to pursue. So all of the projects together looks like this guy never rests, this guy never does anything but work. I can assure you that the projects that you see me work on are allocated specific time to work on them. So, you know, right now at this point in the year, Black Bristol is the focus because Black History Month is coming up. That's where my, that's where my sort of um, energy goes. When the academic term starts, I, I switch back into sort of flourish, um, content development, um, you know, and focus on, on that project, um, you know, pinpoint and working with different, that's kind of more sporadic. If people want me to come in and do stuff, I will do stuff, but I will make sure there's time for me to rest and recover. Um, so it is it can be difficult when you're trying to like create and you know uh, accumulate lots of different projects but i learned that just because there's lots of different projects doesn't mean that all these different projects have to be worked on at the same time and i think um that process of being intentional with my time and really setting aside time to work on things with 100 percent effort but also not being afraid to take a rest and take a break that's how I stopped, you know, my, myself from being overwhelmed when I'm in the best mental space in my career, you know, that I've, that I've been in for, for a long time. And, you know, it's created some of my best work, whether that is the TEDx, whether that is the top secret Black Bristol stuff that is coming next month. I can't say anything, but yeah. know that it's, it, it's massive. Um, it's big, it's big stuff. That's come from rest and knowing what my limits are and, and, and where to work with it. That's fantastic. That's really, really good advice. And that kind of leads on to another question I've got here of what helps you stay focused? Mm -hmm. What helps me stay focused? I have a team around me and I say team, my, my team is Azzy, uh, people, uh, my, my colleagues, my family, because we, we call ourselves, you know, we are family. We, we really uh, look out for each other. And th there's that element of people saying to me, hey, you've done quite a few 12 hour ones, that, you, know, you might need to rest. Uh, or how are you like takes time don't forget to rest Lou make sure you're resting so there's the work element it's the same for like, flourish and working with Bill Bill saying rest and take time having that accountability network around me allows me to stay focused and know that rest is essential and that I need to be taking more rest obviously my family and my my my, my close close circle keep me focused um, because I you know they were the people that and are the people that have allowed me to really pursue the things that I'm interested in and that I love dearly and have never ever once in life said to me, oh, don't do that, you should be doing this instead. So mm -hmm. they help me and help me stay focused because they just give me that space and know how I work and know how I am to just to let him do what he needs to do. Like that's where he's happiest and that's what that's what he loves to do. So family play a huge role in that as well. And more specifically within me, you know, routines and, and making sure that I'm getting enough rest. I'm, you know, moving, I'm exercising and, and making sure that my sleep patterns and my hydration patterns and stuff are consistent. Because I think we often overlook our biological systems when it comes to staying focused and staying consistent. Um, I certainly do. So taking time to ensure that that is in, 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 in place is really, really important. Amazing. So kind of the holistic side of things and the functional yeah. side of things and the practical side of things, they all need to come together to 
to work. Um, incredible, right, really good question here. Assuming that the process for finding magnificence differs for each individual, mm -hmm. what is yep. the most common first step we should take to make sure we're on the right path? Oh yeah, that's, a, that's such a good question. That, that is a brilliant question. And I think the answer, it's an open-ended one, but it's intentional. Um, so, so bear that in mind, the first, step to finding magnificence starts with finding you and that may sound a little bit kind of cliche or 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 like one of those motivational videos but what we know from flourish and what we know from community work um as well what i've learned from the community work is self-awareness is the first step to contact the magnificence like what makes us us what are our driving forces what things motivate us what things don't motivate us what things get us angry what things make us our happiest what things do we want to see change in the world? How do we want to see them change? Engaging that process of questioning and critically reflecting enables you to start finding those, those elements of magnificence because you're absolutely right. Everyone's magnificence is different. It's found in different locations and spaces. But what we found is that that process of inquiry and reflection and beginning that pathway to exploring yourself with as much curiosity as the subjects you're embarking on in university or in wider life gives you that that pathway to locate in that magnificence and 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 you know exploring what makes you you at the the, the core level so yeah wow yeah okay we all know what we're doing this afternoon um <laughs> <laughs> and um da, da, da. yes these yeah, yeah, yeah. uh what is something you haven't done yet but would mm. really like to explore further in the future oh but that's a long list like there's so much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, so the TEDx was a big one for me. Like it was a big career goal, for example. So I, I really like wanted to do a TEDx and that would have been the answer, you know, if, if I didn't do one earlier in the year. I think now what I would want to do, um, a, a, a book. I think that's the, that's the next thing. Um, I think a, a book or a, a piece of work that kind of brings together all the work that I've been doing over the past few years um people are pushing me and nudging me to do it and I do want to do it and I, I think that's the next big challenge is, is a book uh, whether it's on masculinity whether it's on you know, mental health whether it's on personal development wherever the energy is so I'll, I'll go to it but I think the next big thing is a book for sure I mean I think everything that you've spoken about and I'm sure there's mm. a lot more would mm. be fantastic you know for for a book and definitely mm. you know something that people are really interested in the moment and, and i don't we haven't quite got time to go into it but the topic of masculinity from a book written by mm. a man i think mm. it would just you know especially something in in bristol that people would respond really well to and and is about time you know i think yeah. actually a lot of the things that you're talking about it's the right time for it because we're in such a moment of flux um yeah in everything you know we, we could all do in 2023 we could all do with having off but um i don't think that's going to happen unfortunately um mm -hmm. and last i think this is the last yeah this is the last question from the audience so if anyone's got anything get it in really really quickly um mm -hmm. how do you deal with rejection in a professional viewpoint i can summarize this in a sentence um, but i don't mean this to, to make it uh, seem as if it's passed off but the, the lesson that i learned is Rejection isn't a uh, piece of evidence that informs a sense of inadequacy. It's a stepping stone to the next level of 
your personal development. So I, I view rejection as, I, lo I love rejection and I love failure because it allows me to, to really kind of um, find out where the next development zones are and where I can kind of sift into that and, and you know, continually develop myself. So that's how I personally handle rejection. It's looking at it as a stepping stone to the next level as opposed to evidence of my own inadequacy. Oh, God, yes, 100%. I could, I could not agree more. Um, and that's such a good one to, to a good question to end on, actually. Um, do you have anything else you'd like to add? No, I mean, if there are any other questions for me um, and that you kind of want to pose them my way, I think my links are in the, the chat. So please feel free to, to drop me a follow and send me some messages. And I'm happy to try to wrap up um, some of those questions. So, but, but no, it's been a real pleasure to chat to you. Honestly, I've really, really enjoyed this. Um, so thank you for the invite. And thank you to everyone in the in the chat as well it's a really 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 enjoyable um space so thank you very much amazing yeah it's been an absolute pleasure yeah so just to reiterate lewis's um contacts and uh linkedins and twitters and stuff they're all in the in the chat so yeah, yeah. make sure you hit him up follow pester him about the book uh next year's <laughs> christmas <do>. present sorted <laughs> like, excuse me you said you were going to write a book and i want it now um mm. so yeah all of that kind of stuff um if for whatever reason, like your, your tech glitched or whatever, this recording will be up on the library website um, probably in the next couple of days where you can also find the talk with Lindsay Parietti, who, which was on Monday or Tuesday, I think it was. I can't even remember what day it is today. Um, but that was fascinating. Filmmaker and journalist. Um, that was a really good one. And if you're struggling at the moment or anything or you need some support with anything at all, remember there are the UE Bristol support services and they are there to help you um, and just take full advantage of that. Um, and yeah, that's everything for today. So thank you again so much, Lewis. That was I'm inspired, so I hope everybody else is as well. Um, and the next talk, I believe, is next week, but head over to the UE uh, library page and you'll be able to find out more about that. So thank you, everyone, and uh, bye so for now. Thank you, Lewis. See you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. For more information about the Inspire Me series, including other podcasts from the series, visit ue.ac.uk forward slash study forward slash block zero forward slash inspire me. Thanks for listening.